take your copy of God's Word. We're going to start, and we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to uh, have a little journey in the Bible. By the way, that's something the Lord's, the Lord has uh, awakened in my spirit here recently. If we could turn to the title screen, please. Is it not in there? Surely it is. Should be right there. Got a new AV guy we're training. There we go. God's Demands Part 3. You should have, um, you need to get a bulletin with an insert in the back. Those don't have it. Look at me. That, that does not have it. Go in the back and get one on the, on the thing. There you go. This is my son, and I'm training him to take notes. Um, and so that's why I put that in the outline of the bulletin, is I want these young people to begin to take notes. All right, we're in, we're in the series on the Ten Commandments, going through the New City Catechism. And uh, by the way, these are the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Um, in, in, in the Hebrew, it, they're, they're literally called the Ten Statements or the Ten Words. And part of that reason is there's literally only two Hebrew words in each command. Uh, uh, it's just the way Hebrew is a strange and interesting language. But that's just kind of how it works out for us. Oh, I was going to tell you before I got distracted over here. One of the things God's put on my heart lately um, is I want to, I, I need to do a better job as your pastor encouraging you to bring your Bible to church. And I, and I know if you're like me, we all have the Bible on our phone. And I think that's wonderful. Um, I wish we would click the Bible app more than we do the Facebook app. However, that being said, I would prefer you bring your physical Bible to church with you okay there and this is not my Bible this is my prayer book but there, there is nothing like having the physical Word of God in your hand um, I'm trying to think I think it was Vonnie last week as we discussed the fourth commandment at Wednesday night um, I will ask you at sometimes to underline certain words in your Bible and to circle some words so uh, you need to get a physical copy of God's Word and you need to bring it with you um, and bring it to God's house with it. It's really important. This needs to be your prized possession. If we had this in our hand, as much as we had our phone in our hands, we'd look different. Someone once wisely said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So, so let's, let's, get, let's get this book in our hand and then also in our heart, okay? So bring it with you, underline it, mark it up, take notes. Uh, and I just wanna encourage you to do that. My mom is doing something that <clears throat> I think is a phenomenal idea. Um, when she gets up every morning and gets in God's Word, she takes, about, she takes a Bible, and for several years she'll take that Bible and she'll write all her notes in there, what the Lord's teaching her. And then a few years later she'll get a new Bible and do that again. And the, one of the reasons she does that is that when she goes the way of all flesh, she's going to pass those Bibles on to, to her heritage, to her legacy, to her children and grandchildren. That's a marvelous idea. So, so and, and, and again, I'm not anti-technology. Uh, I'm admittedly not very good at technology, but I'm not anti-technology. But you can't do that with your cell phone. So, so let's get a physical copy of God's Word. And, and, and it's also a testimony. When people drive by on Sunday morning, they need to see uh, a, a group of believers walking through here carrying God's Word in their hand. Amen? So, make your way to start off this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And it's really kind of simple today. Uh, and you can see where, why they called it the three words. Um, 
Because it's pretty plain, isn't it? If you look at verse 13, here's our, here's our three commands this week. Verse 13, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. Just three statements in a Hebrew, two words each. Um, all of them with a negative connotation to them. They're telling us what not to do. Interesting overview here as you look at it. The third of those three, you shall not steal, actually covers the other two. And some say all of the other ten, all of the other nine commandments. In other words, you shouldn't steal your neighbor's wife and you shouldn't steal your neighbor's life. Right? Because committing murder is stealing the life of another person. Committing adultery is stealing the wife or life partner of somebody else. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So that's one of those all-encompassing uh, commands. So we're going to jump right in it this morning. And we're going we're gonna to just do these in order. And, and I want to say just off the top here, there's no way that I can do these. I would love to spend the time to take one a week and really just dive into it. And I've done that before years ago. But this doesn't allow me to do that. So I'm trying to take a, 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 a broader view, if you will. So keep that in mind as we walk through this this morning. Um, here's the first one. And it is found in, in verse 13. And it simply says, you shall not what, church? Murder. Now, if you have a new King James Bible like mine or a King James Bible, some of you say something different in there. It says, thou shalt not what? Kill. Um, and I'm just going to say, I'm, I am no Bible scholar. I've never translated the scriptures myself. But that's, that's really um, not the best uh, literal interpretation uh, of that Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is rasa, and it literally means to slay. Um, and we, it is better translated, you shall not murder. Now, let me ask you a question, y'all smart people. Um, what's the difference between killing, the taking of a life, and murder, which is also the taking of a life? What's the difference between those two things? Okay, well, murder's planned. What, what were you saying? Okay, so murder can be planned out. And actually, and it can be, but also in the scriptures, it can happen. This includes manslaughter, which is not planned out in the Mosaic law. Intent? Motive? Okay, there's a such thing, and we're talking about it in a second, about just the just taking of life. But we're missing something. What's the difference between killing? Well, it actually does go back to that, and murder. What's that? Animal versus human, and that's where... That's where uh, some have taken the extreme stance of pacifism, which I'm, I'm going to stand here before you and tell you the Bible does not teach a pacifist uh, stance for Christians or for followers of Jehovah. You've got to really take some things out of context to get there. Um, my shepherd has a rod and a staff, and he uses them well. And by the way, so does your shepherd. I'm just going to say that. If anybody comes through that back of that door of this church with a weapon in their hands, your, your shepherd and several others will have a response. I'm just telling you that. And I think that is a biblical responsibility. But there are some, and I have some dear friends who are of this mindset, that say even if someone comes into my home, I will not stand in the way of them doing violence to my family. And I, I would look that brother in the eye and say, I believe that is a sinful stance and a misunderstanding of God's word. So the difference between killing and murder 
is killing is, and get this word, the unlawful taking of human life. Murder, no, I'm sorry, other way around. Murder is the unlawful taking of human life. There is a lawful taking of human life. So it doesn't encompass killing. So here, let me just give you some scenarios and you tell me, is this murder, the unlawful taking of life, or no? Uh, a police officer returning fire. Um, someone uh, taking a life in self-defense or a, sh a soldier doing their job in a just war. Are those things constituted as murder? No. Now, now let me give you some, another list. Um, infanticide, the killing of an infant, whether inside or outside of the womb. Suicide or drive-by shooting. Would that be constituted as murder? Yes. Yes, it would because it is the unlawful taking of life. You say, well, abortion is legal by man's law. I assure you today it is illegal by God's law and will always be so. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. So let me give you from this sixth commandment, let me give you some, uh, some biblical foundation. Next screen is Genesis 9, 6. If you've got your own Bible, turn there. It does come up on the screen, but it's good for you to know where these places are in your own copy of Scripture. So Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, and look at it there. It says, whosoever sheds man's blood... By man, did you get that? By man, his blood shall be shed. Now, what this is here is it's giving you, and you need to get this, the biblical foundation for murder being wrong, a crime, and a sin. And it's vital that we as followers of Christ in the new covenant understand this reality. So that word for also means because. So here's your justification. So in other words, if someone kills somebody unlawfully, then, it is, it, then God has put civil authorities in place to see that that person's life should also be taken. You understand that? And here's God's reasoning. For in the what? What's that word? Image of God, he made man. So in whose image are we made? Yeah, in Latin it's called the imago dei. We are made, created, crafted in the image of God. And I want you to hear me. Animals are not. We are not a higher form of animal. We are created as the apex of God's earthly creation. I say earthly because the scriptures tell us that the angels are a higher form than even mankind. As Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, and he was made just like us. That's New Testament revelation. We are not a lucky animal. We are created, crafted, designed in the very image of God. We bear his likeness. And listen to me, to unlawfully take the life of a human being is an attempt to slay God himself. Did you hear that? And God, God does not, God does not let that go by with a wink and a nod. We must not take the life, we must not steal life unlawfully from a brother or sister, another fellow image bearer of Jesus Christ. Someone said this once, I think it was Bill Hybels, and I've never forgotten the phrase. He said this, he said, everyone you lock eyes with 
is a potential equal image bearer of Christ. Do you hear that? You'll never lock eyes with another human being that is not made in the image of God and has the potential to be crafted into the image of Christ. Now that takes the regeneration and a new birth to make that happen. But regardless, we, every human being has that as a potential. Because that potential is there, we must never, God says it, human life is sacred. Now is there, is there a place for uh, the taking of human life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the scriptures lay that out fairly clearly. But uh, to understand this command, it says we must not unlawfully take human life. And, 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 and wouldn't it be wonderful? I used to, when I, when I used to teach this, I would say, raise your hand here if you've ever killed anybody. Because I would always assume no one ever had. And then I started getting hands, and I thought, well, I'm going to just table that question. <laughs> That's a little scary. We don't want to point the murderers out in the crowd. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. So the, the penalty for murder is what? Death. Yeah. Death, right? So you murder, you die. Commit murder, you die. And, and I know you're all sitting there saying, you know, I'm good. No, you're not. Because <laughs> let's fast forward to the New Testament. Let's see what Jesus says about this. All right, and this is found. It take your, you go all the way right a good long ways in the Bible. The first of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter five, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. Matthew five, twenty-one and twenty-two. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he's teaching. By the way, toughest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Um, everything in that sermon is designed to make you realize that you are under the death penalty of God and you're going straight to hell when you die. People say, oh, isn't the, isn't the Sermon on the Mount wonderful? Only if you understand who is preaching it and what he ultimately did. Without those two, it's the worst news you've ever heard in your life. It's terrible because we're all guilty. And so we say, we say oh, whew, I got nothing to worry about about that murder one. Yeah, hold on a second. Because this one, now again, don't shoot the messenger. They crucified the original messenger of this statement, the author. Don't do that to me, but just his words, not mine. Here's what he said. You've heard it said. It's the Old Testament. It's what we just read, Exodus 20, 13. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, for whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without what? A cause shall be danger in danger of the judgment. And by the way, that judgment is the fires of hell. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, or you idiot, or you fool, shall be in what? In danger of the council. But whoever says that you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. So whoever says you're worthless is in danger of the council. That's the human courts. But if you call him a fool... You're in danger of hellfire. So in other words, if I'm reading this correctly, what Jesus is saying is even getting angry with your brother without a, without a just, is there a just cause to be angry with a, with a brother or sister? Yeah, there is when it involves sin. But the problem is as human beings, we don't do a good job separating sin from sinner. Only God does that. So 99.9% .9 of the time, your anger towards another person is unjustified. So I ask you, you know, 
you got away with a murder. Well, how many of you ever been mad with someone? So mad that, that you just want to write them off. You ever done that? Oh, yeah, two brave people. The rest of you, the next command for you is the last one, thou shalt not lie. That's coming, that's coming in a minute. Okay? Yeah, we're all guilty. And, and, and people will say, oh, you know, God gave Moses the law, and Jesus comes along and he makes it worse. No, he didn't. Jesus brought it back to what the original intent was. See, the original intent of the law of God was to expose a heart that was fallen. Because listen to me, nobody takes another's life, nobody hates their brother or sister without it starting on the inside. No, it's a, it's a, what the old saying is, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It's all inside. So Jesus is just taking it back to its genesis, to its foundation. See, your guy's problem is you've got a, you got a fallen heart. And, and, if, and if you're so mad at your brother, you just want to write him off. That's just like murdering them. It's pretty rough stuff. Jesus wasn't playing around. All right, let's look at the next one. No adultery. Oh, by the way, do you remember the sixth commandment? You, remember this? You shall not murder. Seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. All right. A marriage is made up of two and not five. Okay. Husband and wife, one contract, one covenant, one life. Till death do us part. All right. And it's pretty, pretty plain in there. There's an old Jewish joke uh, that, that is, it has been around for centuries. Um, and, it, and it goes, and it shows you the fallenness of, of man's heart and where where this could be taken, but it says, when Moses came down from the mountain, he said, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is I got them down to 10. The bad news is adultery stays. <laughs> you know? And that just shows you the fallenness of man's heart, right? Marriage is between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Now, what has happened to that institution of marriage in our day? Uh, it, it's been turned upside down, hasn't it? And I would say to you, we, we, we have not been given a redefinition of marriage. We have actually removed the definition of marriage. We've, we've had a removal of the definition of marriage in our culture. But God is basically saying here that, that um, adultery, adultery is out. Don't do it. Now, I want to ask you a question as we walk through all of these. Why would God say, don't murder? Don't unlawfully take a life. And Jesus even back it up to the heart and say, hey, you, you don't, even, don't be writing people off. Why? Huh? We're made in God's image. Why else? Oh, I like that. Don't take what you can't give or give back. That's good. Life is precious. So where's the benefit to us and not writing people off and then not taking their life. We don't play God. We have peace. We honor God and we're forced to deal with our relationships through grace. All right. John 1, the Bible makes it clear. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice the order of that. Grace and what? Truth. I'm glad it didn't say truth and grace. It said grace and truth because I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace 
to act on a truth sometimes. How about you? Huh? Someone does you dirty. I need a lot of grace in order to act upon the truth of not writing them off. Am I, am I, am I in anybody's pea pasture today? What about adultery? Why would God say no adultery? Don't, don't go after, don't, huh? Marriage is a covenant. What's a covenant? It's a promise. What else is it? It is. And God uses that picture as a picture of Christ in the church. And it goes back to covenant. A covenant is even more than a promise. It's a contract. And God says it's unbreakable. Unbreakable. Now, God did give some excuses or reasons for divorce, but he gave them with a qualification. And the qualification is, is it wasn't always this way. I gave, we gave this uh, writing of divorce because of the hardness of, of your hearts, but this is not the best way. And of course, that is for adultery. Um, God takes his covenant seriously. Generally, when a man and a woman are in covenant together and that covenant is celebrated in the physical coming together, at some point, based on the will of God, children are produced. All right? And, and, and would we not, I mean, cold hard statistics will tell you that children growing up with a mother and a father in the same home our hands down have the best odds to go forward in life, be successful, not be criminals, and, and, and produce families like the one they grew up in. You say, well, I, I come from a family of divorce. Yeah, that's why it's grace and truth, right? God has grace for that. And we can change those patterns, right? We can, uh, you know, he, he restores the years the locusts have eaten, right? What was the penalty for adultery? Death. Death. And not just death in this life, death in the next. I mean, you're going right to hell. We don't like that. But that, that's not my words. That's clearly stated in the Word of God. And I know some of you sitting out there saying, oh, I've been married for 33 years. Never committed adultery, we're good. Hold on. How about we go back to Matthew 5? Y'all are not going to like Matthew 5 when it's over. I'm just going to tell you right now. How about we go back to Matthew 5 and verse 27 and 28 says this, You have heard it said to those of old, people in Exodus 20, You, you shall not commit adultery. And he had to go with verse 28. Verse 28 says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. Because the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Same penalty still applies, by the way. So whether you've committed adultery physically or whether you've committed adultery in your fantasies, Everybody in here should be dead. Don't shoot the messenger. That'd be murder. 
and y'all are already in trouble. <laughs> right? And by the way, if you have children, you're never divorced. I'm just saying. You're always going to be in a relationship. And, and, and I want to be pastoral here and say, look, I, I get it. It's a rotten world we live in. And stuff happens. Um, that's why it's grace and truth. Is there grace for you? Absolutely. Can you unscramble scrambled eggs? No. But hang in there. Be faithful. Exercise grace to that one who was once your spouse. And, and, and walk in the truth that God has revealed to you in his word from, from this day forward. And you trust God for the difference. Okay? How about this last one? Number eight. Now, I got the eighth and ninth up there. But um, we'll do the ninth next week. Commandment number eight is you shall not steal. Do you remember this? Eight, you, thou shalt not steal. What does it mean to steal? Take something that is not yours. What else? What if you only borrow it? I had a hard time with one of my children on that. They said, well, I, I, yeah, I borrowed it, but I gave it back when I was done. And I couldn't get, and it's because they were young, and their mind, I don't think, were to the point that they could understand either that or it's just my DNA was messing them up. They could not get in their mind that, hey, if I gave it back, it's all good. And it's really important, parents, by the way, that you instill in your children at a very young age the understanding of personal property rights. Okay? And we know, and we, you've, you've seen this all the time, little kids, you hear this, your little kids are playing, and, what a, and, and a little, little kid comes up and he grabs that toy away, and what do, what do they say? Mine. And what do, we try, what do we do as parents? That's not nice. You need to share. And we take that away from them. Could I submit to you? We may be setting a standard for breaking the Eighth Commandment. Because if that toy really is theirs, we ought not to forcefully remove it and give it to the other child. We also can't stand there and reason with a two-year-old necessarily. Okay, so there's got to be some balance here. But if it really is theirs and they own that toy, should they share? Yes, but we're dealing with a fallen heart here who, who has not yet received grace. Now, that needs to be managed parentally and wisely. But be careful about going there and ripping off their property and loaning it to someone else without their permission. It, if it belongs to them, we need to respect the Eighth Commandment. Just a thought. Um, you shall not steal. Oh man, I could I could go on and on here, but it's massively convicting, and I'm tempted not to touch this at all. But when, when okay, let me just ask you this way: when, when when I say do not steal, what what kind of scenarios are you thinking of? Huh? Louder! I am really hard of hearing. Shoplifting. What else? Taxes. Taxes, yeah. 
And that's the government stealing, not us. You know, the government doesn't steal. They have another name for it. It's called taxing. It's, and honestly, it's my personal belief here, and I'm going to put a big parenthesis around this. I believe that the tax, what we, what we have today, is, is legalized theft. And in God's eyes, it's still theft. And the government's way out of control, and that our taxation system is theft by another word. That's just me. I'd be glad to talk to you about that later. But I'm going to tell you this. When the, when the government under, which, under whose authority you live, and I'm a saint, I'm going to say you pay your taxes, render under Caesar what's Caesar's. But when they put themselves at the top of the waterfall and require more than God does in his law, there's a problem. And the problem is, 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 is multifaceted. But the first problem is they have put themselves before God. And, and I'm going to tell you what, you will see those ugly tentacles reach out in every area of that administration. And we, we've lived that in this country. And when the government says, I'm above God, bad things happen. By the way, can I bring that down to your house? When you say you're above God, bad things happen. You know what the difference between a tax and a tithe is? Love. Love. Yeah. Well, both of them are obedience. Are we required to pay our taxes? They don't even ask you. That's why it's theft. I remember when I was a kid and got my first real paycheck. I saw what the, what the, what the, what the take-home was, and I'm like, hey, hey, I work more hours than that. So I started reading down this little pay stub. I said, who's FICA? <laughs> and where does he live? I'm going to his house to get my $27.38 back. He ripped me off. And by the way, someone once said, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you're heartless. And if you're not a conservative when you're old, you're brainless. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. As soon as you start getting a paycheck with a pay stub, you become a conservative, at least fiscally, really fast. Right? You do. And I know you, you say, Preacher, I don't like you talking about my money. That's your problem. You see it as yours. And the heart of the matter is a matter of the what? Heart. It's not yours. It's not yours. And you know why you don't like me talking about your money? Because you don't like me talking about your God. You say, Preacher, I don't make enough for money to be my God. Oh, I would beg to differ with you. You know what the greatest idolaters are poor people. And the reason some people are poor is because the idolatry that they have before God in the area of their finances, God can't trust them with more. I remember one chapter, and I'm, I'm careful to share this publicly, but I remember one chapter in my parents' lives. My dad's been an auto body man forever. And he, and he opened, but, he, but he decided in one chapter in his life, I was in college. Um, they decided to move from Connecticut where I grew up to Massachusetts. I finally found where they lived, found their address, refound my family. No, I'm kidding. I helped them move. And dad decided to open a furniture store, which I thought was interesting. And he did, he did okay. 
But then things kind of went south on them. And I remember mom telling me how many thousands of dollars that they lost in his venture before dad finally wrapped it up and said, I'm going to go back and fix cars. And I was astounded because I, I don't have a concept for that much money. And you know what she said to me? She said, yeah, your father and I were talking about it and we, just, we were just so thankful. And I'm like, okay, now I know they're crazy. She said, yeah, we were just so thankful that, we, that God gave us that much money to be able to lose. Because at the end of the day, it was his money. We did the best we could. And, you know, it's all good. I'm like, man, that is a, such a kingdom mindset. And that was instructive to me. Shall a man rob God? What do the Old Testament Jews say? Well, wherein have we robbed you? You have robbed me, God said, in your tithes. It didn't stop there. And what? Uh-oh. Jim, Jim preaches this heavily. Being a treasurer and a finance guy and someone who has not robbed God in either tithes or offerings. You say, preacher, you know, is the tithe for the New Testament? You know, in the age, church age, you know, isn't the tithe, you know, we're not under the law anymore. Isn't that gone? Yeah, I think it is. And I think what we see in the New Testament is greater than a tithe. John Piper said he believed that a tithe was uh, a contemporary Christian's way of robbing God. It's the ground floor of your giving. It's nowhere near the cap. And, and it's tithes and what? Offerings. And this is something I learned from Jim. You, it is impossible for you to give an offering until you have given your... So you're giving the anything. So in other words, if, if I make hundred dollars a week and I'm giving five dollars a week, a it's not a tithe, and and then I see a need and I give another five dollars. That's still a tithe. It's just gone to the wrong place, because a tithe is to go where you get fed spiritually, right? I've had people call me and say, you know, they moved away and 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 you know, should I keep tithing to you or to the church? I said, no, you tithe where you're getting fed. That's biblical. Uh, and normal. Um, so we got to look at this and say, whose money is it? And we got to stop seeing ourselves as owners and start seeing ourselves as managers. And, and I would assert to you today, if you're having trouble with the 10%, it's not the money, it's the heart, it's your vision, it's your perspective, because you still see that as your money and not God's. Personally, for me, I think God is massively generous to only require 10%. Because it's all His. He could say, you know what? I'm going to take 90% and you live off that 10. And I know people that do that. Praise God. But we need to not just be tithing. We need to be giving offerings. Sometimes that will be through the church. Sometimes that will be other things. You see a need, you meet it. Generosity. And I'll tell you what, in that same chapter where God talked about robbing him, he says, it's the only time he tells you to test him. He says, how about you, how about you test me on that one? Go ahead and you give your tithes and your offerings. You develop a spirit of generosity and stop stealing from me and stop stealing the blessing from yourself. By the way, we steal from ourselves a lot. Stop doing that and watch. See if I don't. Don't what? Open the windows of heaven and pour out such a great blessing you can't contain it. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, well, go to the New Testament and look at Peter who's fishing all night long and catches what? Nothing. 
And Jesus says in the morning, hey, how about, you, how about you cast on the other side of the boat? Everybody's an expert. And he does, and he gets a, 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 a net so full that the, the ship is sinking. He literally couldn't contain it. Faith, with a proper perspective, always yields blessing. And it's not the prosperity gospel, it's just the gospel. And I've told you, the Lord's dealt with my heart about being stingy over the last year and a half. And I started to loosen up when God shows me needs and the Spirit moves me to do something. I don't go look in my pair budget. That's the program that I use. I don't go looking in there. I just do it. And I trust God for the difference. And you know what? God has proven himself faithful. He really has. I shared just with Elizabeth yesterday. That's something that's happened at the funeral home where I'm working. That's really different. Um, and, and, it's, it, and it's a financial blessing that was out of left field. I did not anticipate or expect. It's good. Don't steal. Because when we steal, we're saying, I've got to control things. I need this. God hasn't provided it, so I'm going to take it anyway. And learn to live with what God has. Really, the heart of theft is the 10th commandment. Don't covet. We'll get into that next week. Okay? Does the Bible say anything in the New Testament about stealing? Yes, very quickly. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. Ephesians 4 and 28. Here's what the scripture says. Should be there. Here we go. Let him who what? Stole what? Notice that. Steal how went? No longer. All right, now look at that. What tense is the word stole? When did that happen? In the past. What tense is the word steal? Present. Okay, if you used to do it, stop doing it. What you used to do, we need to, you need to stop doing. Let him who stole, past tense, steal no more. Again, so what, what should he do when he has needs? Rather let him, what's that word? Labor. Yeah, by the way, manual labor is not the president of Mexico. Manual labor is a gift from God. God designed a man to work, and I think to work with his hands. Because that's what it says. But rather let him labor working with his what? Hands, that which is what? Good. Good, that means righteous. Righteous manual labor. Why do we got to work physically? So that he may have something to give him who has what? Need. That's an offering. It's right there. You can't get around it. It's easier to, oh, listen to me. It is easier for you, to you, for you to obey this command than to live with the consequence of its disobedience. That's true of all of the ten, but this one affects them all. I'm telling you, it's easier. You will go farther on what God allows you to keep than what you will keeping it all. I have lived far better on the 80% than the, than the 20 or so that throughout the course of a year 
offerings and tithe that God has allowed me to get. I, I'm living great. I've told you my mom and dad's testimony. Dad wasn't a Christian when they got married. I don't know what mom was thinking, but she knew that one day God would give them an awesome son. So she married him anyway. And so she went to this little Nazarene church in New York, and, and uh, she was tithing. And one day, I don't know if Dad looked at the check or, or what, he said, how much you, what, what are you doing? She goes, I'm tithing. I'm giving 10% of her income. He goes, no, we, we're not doing that. You know, and Dad's way of thinking, the church raises money at bingo. That's how he grew up. And it works. It's a good, great fundraiser. But that doesn't get to the heart. He said, no, we're not doing that. And so mom quit tithing. And I mean to tell you, after a few weeks and everything going south, he said, start writing that same check again. Now, he's not even a follower of Jesus yet. God hadn't even regenerated his heart. That wouldn't come for a couple years later. But even as a lost man, blind to the goodness of God through the resurrection of Jesus, even he could say, hey, you know what? We were doing a whole lot better on the 90 than we are on the 100%. And I believe that's fully because there was one believer in that house. And God said, you live it right, I'll save him. Hmm? So she obeyed him, quit writing the check. He saw the results. He said, I don't know about that, but start writing that check again. It's because the church needed money? No. Did God need money? No, he owns it all anyway. They needed to tithe so that a lost man could see there is a God and he's very active and he can manipulate things in such a way that it's better to obey than disobey. And then a few years later, he's working basically as a bouncer, as, as, the, as the heavy in a youth rally. And the preacher gives the invitation and the bouncer walks down the aisle and accepts Christ. Why? He already saw God's faithfulness. And if God could be faithful in his money, he could be faithful in his eternity and in his life. And because of that, I grew up knowing a man that loved God, that took his family to church, that, that didn't just tithe, but instead gave tithes and offerings sacrificially. I got to watch that. Do you think that had an effect? Absolutely. Don't, don't steal. If God hasn't provided it, hear, hear me and I'm done. You don't need it. You don't need it. Live in faith. Don't burn your conscience up. It's not worth it. I'm going to invite the team to come. And we're going to sing a song during the response time as they're coming. It's called Trust and Obey. Great old hymn. But boy, doesn't it fit what we're talking about? Trust God and obey His Word. Now, if you're here today, I'm just telling you, obeying these commands are impossible without the Holy Spirit. And without understanding your need of God, you, you, everyone in this room has a desperate need to be forgiven because we have destroyed these commandments. 
I mean, you learn today that you're a murderer. You may have never taken a life, but you've written people off. Matter of fact, right now, you're seeing their faces. You learn today that we're all adulterers. And we've stolen a lot. And the penalty's all the same. We should all be dead. All of us. But instead of us dying for our sins, God sent His Son to die in us. Someone did die for your breaking and destroying of these commandments. And it was the precious Son of God. And He died in your place. But he didn't stay dead. Because he was the sinless son of God. And three days later, the father put his stamp of approval on the sinlessness of the son and said, get up out of that grave and live. Because there's some people, 2018 in Lake Wildwood, that need to learn that there's a new life after you bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And it's not just life until you die. It's life until you die and live forever. It's called the good news. And somebody in this room might need to respond to that today. Say, preacher, what do I do? You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have destroyed your word. I have destroyed your law. But that preacher said that Jesus died in my place. He's paid the penalty for that death. And today, I, I believe that. I'm agreeing with you that I can't fix my sin, but that your son had no sin to fix, so he took mine. And that he paid the penalty, which was death. Eternally, in six hours, that's why he was God. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And because he was sinless, he is now alive to help me walk a new life. And Lord, I don't have to understand it all, but I agree that I can't fix my sin, but that Jesus did. Then I'm going to trust you today with that. I'm going to ask you to put all of my sin in Jesus' account this morning. All of it. Past, present, and future. And, I'm a, and I receive Jesus' perfect record, His sinlessness. I ask you to place that in my account this morning. He said, oh, preacher, preacher, preacher. I was baptized as a baby. I went through confirmation classes. And I'm not discounting any of that. I'm not. But I'm going to tell you today, this is something that you have to do between you and God. Amen. And if you haven't done it, you are an enemy of God. His wrath is still against you today. It's just in a bank account that's hanging over your soul. And the moment you die, that wrath will be poured out for all of eternity in a place called hell. And God's not playing. He's that holy. He must punish that sin. But because Jesus was God, He paid it in six hours on the cross. Because Jesus was sinless, His sacrifice and death in your place was accepted by a holy God. And because this is true today, you can come to Him and say, I want that. And I receive that. And He will make you new today. Amen. He will make you His own. Yes, sir. Whosoever will may come. Will you? Have you? Is He speaking to you today? 
Would you stand with me? We'll sing here in just a minute. Father God, in Jesus' name, wake us up to where we are with you right now. Cause the blinders to fall off. Holy Spirit, reveal truth in the inward parts right now. Are we yours? Have we done it by trusting Jesus alone? Nothing that we've done or has been done for us except what Jesus did for us on the cross and in his subsequent resurrection. God, I pray that right now you are calling people to be your own. That you are drawing them to yourself. That you are putting to death who they used to be so who you intend them to be can come to life. We do that through trusting you and obeying. We trust that you're not lying. And we obey the gospel this morning by simply receiving the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on our behalf. And then, Lord, there are those here today that are yours. They've had a problem with stealing. They've had a problem with adultery. They've had a problem with murder as defined by Jesus. Lord, right now there are some people who have in their mind, right now they can see the faces of those they have written off. And some of them, it's their own face. They're trying to pay for their sin and not accepting Jesus' death on their behalf. Lord, I pray that if you're, if there's, if you're dealing with people today, that they might even come to this old-fashioned altar and get it right with you. Teach us like David to be quick to repent and to be back in sweet fellowship with you in Jesus' name. If that's you, you come. You come. You make a confession of Christ today. You come today and deal with whatever God's put on your heart as we sing this song. When we walk with the Lord in the light of... Are you walking with the Lord in the light of His Word?